Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dispatches from the Front. This is episode number 20 and we are talking about Enemy at the Gates. I am Tim and joining me as always from quarantine this time, Tom. How are you this morning, Tom? You know, you could we could stay on brand with this movie and instead of saying quarantine, it's just a sniper hide. Just call it something really cool. You're just like in a like a month long sniper hide. Yeah. Waiting for a, an invisible enemy to rear its head. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I have I actually have reasonable patience for this. I don't know if I would have patience for that though. Cause I mean you really like yeah. you can't move. So, you know, you're just gonna sit there and pee yourself for that's time. true. I can come down to my basement. I can wear and, and talk with Tim. I can, uh, you know, wear pajama pants or just no pants around the house. You can't <laughs> wear no pants if you're in a sniper. Hide. That's true. That's true. I mean, unless you're like painted. Can't, uh, no, nope. Nope. Different topic. Different topic. We're good. <laughs> how's, um, how, how's things with you anyway? How, how are you and you and the family holding up in all this? Uh, good. Yeah. I'm I, as good as you can be with a toddler who, need sort of constant attention. Evelyn's like in that weird age where she can watch a little bit of a video. So like, you know, if we want to set her down in front of the TV or something, she has a short time uh, attention span, Mm -hmm. but she needs constant attention. And so it's, it's required us to sort of do a juggling act over the last month or so uh, of trying to figure that out and work out. But yeah, we're hanging in. Yeah. Good. Good. How about you? Uh, yeah, you know, things are things are good here. Um, I mean, I, I am generally used to working from home. I've been doing it for the past eight years, um, but I also am used to traveling a lot, which kind of breaks it up. So obviously I've not been traveling now for uh, the better part of two months. So, uh, you know, not having that change of scenery gets to you. But, uh, you know, springtime's coming. And even though up here in central New York, it's still cold. We're still getting snow. But it is uh, it's been warming up a bit and there's, you know, house projects to do and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that breaks things up a bit. And, you know, my my wife is plugging away. Her her office is set up right outside the doors of my office. And um, we pretty much find out that both of us are just on really boring video calls all day long. That's that's <laughs> how we live our lives. And yeah. Have you have you discovered anything about each other, like their working habits? I saw a, a thread on. Twitter or Facebook somewhere where somebody started it off saying like, you know, working around my husband at home for the first time has made me realize that he's a let's circle back now guy. (laughs) Yes, I saw that. She's like, I I don't even know (laughs) who I married. (laughs) Um, I I mean, for me, there's no huge surprises except to say, and, and I will honestly, honestly say, and you can see my wife is nowhere around me. There's no gun being held to my head or anything can confirm um i i am i'm incredibly proud of her uh so she is a she she's a college dean i've, I've probably mentioned this on the show before and you know so i'm i'm an emergency manager i deal with disaster professionally and i i have a a certain mentality for how these things need to be done and it's been frustrating for me through the years to have to recognize and accept that certain professions and certain groups of people don't have that same proclivity um, and, and academia generally being one of them because nothing happens quickly in academia and they tend to uh, simply by virtue of them being academics, they tend to overthink things and there's uh, 
just it, it takes a long time for for action to take place. My wife, even though she has, you know, a couple of executives above her, has like really proven to be this incredible leader for the college in getting them through a lot of this stuff. And I think, you know, one, it's just simply it's 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 who she is. Um, part of it is that she also does work. I mean, she's part owner of, of, of my company as well. So she's gotten some of that emergency management acumen into her. Um, and, uh, you know, and we talk about things and, and, and stuff and, but it's, it's funny to, you know, prior to this, we would talk about things and then she goes to work and how she actually executes them. I never know. I never see, you know, or hear what she does, mm-hmm. but you know, now with her being, 12 feet behind me, I get to see her in action. And I got to say, I mean, it's really impressive. And I'm, I'm really, really happy. I'm, I'm proud of her for this stuff that she does. So, I mean, not to like take it to a, to a a, a sappy place, but (laughs) it's just, it's, it's crazy because there's so many organizations that have not been well positioned and have not been able to handle this whole thing. Well, Um, I mean, to the point that we've actually even seen, there's some colleges, um, who have completely shuttered up like they're doing no business at all. And, uh, you know, most colleges out there have have they're doing either online learning or some other form of, of distance learning. Um, it's fortunate that the the college that my wife works for, they've had a they have a very, very long history of doing that stuff, um, along with doing a, a lot of face to face things. So they really just had to took them a couple of weeks to kind of transition over to doing everything fully. But there's some colleges who have never done any type of distance learning. And they said, yeah, no, we're, we're peace out. Hmm. It's like, I, you, you, I'm sorry, <laughs> but you're not going to survive. If you're not adapting, you're not going to survive. So yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to That's see phenomenal. that. Crazy to see that. But it is uh, the, the, the other challenge though, and, it's, and I'm sure so many people are going through this for as, as much as you love your family, to truly be around them 24 hours a day with no reprieve, except like when you go to the bathroom, that is, that's a bit much. (laughs) That's sometimes a bit much. There's, there have been a couple of times where I'm like, okay, we just need to all stop talking to each other because I don't want to talk to anybody. (laughs) This is the moment where Tim's wife kind of comes into frame like Spider-Man. There she is. Tim's time on this earth comes to an end. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i'm 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 used to you know like eight hours a day alone and uh you know i'll put some music on in the background or something while i'm working or whatever and it's like no this is now a very different environment so it's uh yeah it's you know it's 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 still good though we're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing hopefully everyone is everyone who's listening to this true. uh you know if you're able to to stay home just stay home that's it that, that's all this requires stay home don't be visiting with friends. Don't be visiting with family. We know it sucks. It's a very simple war effort. Yeah. Yeah. But you can pick up the phone. You can video call people that like happens so much now. It's it's yeah. There's so many ways around this. So many ways around this. Uh, let's see a few things before we dive into the show. Um, folks who are subscribed, <clears throat> excuse me, to the uh, uh, the podcast feed for Dispatches from the Front. You may have noticed a couple weeks ago uh, we had a an interview that went out. Uh, it, this was with an author by the name of James Rollins. He is uh, hands down my absolute one hundred percent favorite author. 
uh, he we got an interview with him uh, that my wife and I did, and I've read nearly all of his books. He has a the reason why I in specific uh, put it out on this feed along with actually the whole network feed is because uh, his primary run of books and he's I think he's uh, his one that just releases his 15th in this series. Uh, it's called Sigma Force and uh, Sigma Force is a uh, it's a, a fictional entity. These are a group of former special forces operatives uh, from various branches who after, you know, soft retirement from active duty also got uh, like advanced degrees in sci- in various sciences. And so you have on one hand as they're, you know, battling the scourges of the world, uh, you see it's, it's this really cool dichotomy because you have part of this, which is like this really terrific, like Tom Clancy type of military stuff. And then on the other hand, you also have some really cerebral um, science things. And all of his stuff is actually he, he pulls things out of history and brings them to bear um, in, in current times. And, uh, you know, it could be something that um, Leonardo da Vinci wrote on you know, back in, in his time that somehow has some impact on some kind of super weapon that some, you know, criminals are building or something like that. So some really interesting things and it makes you think. And um, a lot of it is is grounded in truth. He, he actually uh, at the end of every book, he has a, uh, a an, an epilogue in there that says, here's the stuff from the book that's actually true. And some of it is like, wow, really, that's that's true. Holy cow. Uh, so he was a great interview to have. Um, really, really awesome to to talk to the guy, especially since I've been reading his stuff for so many years. Highly recommend. And really, you can jump into any book. I mean, it, it, it does get a little intimidating to think, oh, wow, so he just put out his 15th book. So now what? I have to go back, you know, 12 years or something to start at the beginning. I don't know that I want to do that. You can actually jump in at any point in time. Um, every book... I mean, they're 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 standalone ish. He writes enough background on the characters that you come to get a good understanding of them as as in the early stages of of, of every book. So he does a great job with that. On the complete flip side of that, we uh, have an announcement for a new show coming on the network. Red and Cheddar Network is mostly focused on pop culture stuff. This show is our first sports show. Uh, called Sportscasters Anonymous. They just put out their uh, their episode zero, if you will, a few days ago. Their kind of introductory episode, like 15 minutes or so. Uh, one of the hosts is actually my cousin. And um, so a couple guys very much interested in the sports. They do have, uh, because they are both pop culture fans, they do kind of have an intersection with some pop culture. But they're covering all the main sports as well as, you know, some fringe things here and there. And... Um, you know, even in this environment where sports aren't actively happening, there's still a lot of stuff going on in sports. You know, we've got the uh, NFL draft, which uh, is, is, has started this weekend. We've got they're doing and I'm not even a NASCAR fan, but they're doing e NASCAR, which they've been doing now for for like a month and a half uh, where the the drivers are, are, you know, at home or in some studio somewhere driving simulators like the real expensive high-end simulators with like eight video screens around them and stuff 
and uh, apparently, like, Fox is getting, like, insane uh, uh, um, watching numbers, viewing numbers on these, like, more <laughs> than most NASCAR. Uh, because I think they're probably getting like gamers who are even watching some of yeah. it. So, you know, it's really interesting. But you can even, I think drivers are finding out you could still get fired, even though you're just playing the video game. <laughs> a driver that got caught on a hot mic being a racist and got fired from his driving seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that kind of stuff can absolutely happen. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. It's a cool environment. Plus, there's obviously a lot of talk amongst politicians and other folks about how we're going to be reintroducing sports, uh, you know, particularly team sports. So I'm sure they're going to be covering some of that. And uh, yeah, there's, there's going to be some interesting things. They also actually had a, uh, an actual sports announcer write their uh, write and, and, and perform their intro, their outro and a couple of transitions. So it is really cool. I, they, um, I listened to their demo of it a couple days ago, and I'm really, really excited about it. So uh, it's it's awesome. So Sportscasters Anonymous is the name of the show. We're actually going to have uh, both of them on as guests on Random Chatter, um, which we record tonight, uh, Lou, Eric, and I. Um, and so we're going to be talking to them, kind of introducing them to the network and, and such. So. Uh, so, yeah, if you're into that, uh, be sure to catch Sportscasters Anonymous. Aside from that, uh, folks, you know how to get us feedback. Email dispatches at randomchatter.com. You can uh, get us on Twitter. Uh, you can hit up the network at Random Chatter. You can find me at Qui-Gon Tim. That is Tim with two M's. And, Tom, please tell them your boring Twitter handle. You know, boring is such a strong <laughs> word for it. But in this case, it's accurate. It's at Thomas L. Allison Larry Harper. It, it's, is the, it's like the pinnacle of creativity. I is know. the L in there because there's already a Thomas Harper? Probably, yeah. I think that's what happened. I, I can't remember back when I first created the Twitter handle. But like everything, like every other social media endeavor I've ever had, you, you get the screen where it's like, you can, you can literally be anything. You can have any name yeah. you want. Yeah. You can be Jedi Tom or whatever. And I probably, I got nervous I ran into one small roadblock with some like reasonably cool sounding name. And I was like, oh, first middle initial last name. And here we are. Yeah. It's too late to change it now. Yeah. No, you know what? And, and that's okay. <laughs> I, I actually like professionally, I tend to include my middle initial and in everything also. I don't know why it just seems like more formal. That's a, it's, it's a thing to do. So I, I, I don't knock you for that. Well, I won't be, I won't be confused sitting here with any other Thomas Harper. So that's, that's true. That's true. And I don't know of any other Thomas Harper uh, who is also a, uh, a a major in the army who also has a Captain Rex uh, uniform. This, this is true. This is true. Although I think I've told you this story. There was a Captain Thomas Harper. I think he, his middle initial was also L oh. at Fort Stewart when I was stationed there. He belonged to the dental command. So I'm assuming he was a dentist. We were right beside each other on what they call the global or the, the email. The yeah, email like a directory. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was always deficient in something, <laughs> like some training that he was required to do or some paperwork. And so I would get nasty gram after nasty gram wow, in my inbox, wow. like wagging the finger at this guy. I'd get the dental commander, you know, this 06, who I had, I th- I'm trying to think the timing. I had previously prosecuted for her because uh, their command fell within my jurisdiction 
and she would send me nasty grims meant for him. And I'm like, man, we left on good terms. Like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Darn Dennis. So, so, so you're yeah. you're like, you know, Thomas dot Harper two, you know, for your dot mill address or something or. No, I'm the OG. I would. Yeah, I got that email. Address oh, really? Back, oh, OK. Like when the email addresses were created. So that all these people that are out there in the army and, and have like a 27 by their oh, name. Yeah. yeah. Joe Smith. There's so many other people. No, there's no number of my mind. Wow. Oh, good for you. Good. <laughs> you, you are the OG Tom Harper. Good for you. That's true. Uh, all right. So, folks, you can find all of our stuff over at randomchatter.com. Uh, we definitely appreciate reviews. Uh, you can support us by way of Patreon and Discord, uh, randomchatter.com slash Patreon. You can um, join us over on Discord, randomchatter.com slash Discord, where we have, you know, live chat with all sorts of things. And, you know, I, I do try to drag Tom into Discord more and more. He's 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 tough. He's he's squirrely with it. It's like he'll pop in and like respond to something and then he's gone. He vanishes. You know what I found, and this is maybe a problem with my settings, is notifications mm-hmm. and realizing when certain stuff happens. And so occasionally Discord will be great and I'll get notifications about some things, sort of like on Twitter. Like you get mentioned yeah. on Twitter and I get a notification pops up, but uh, I, it's sporadic. I don't always get a notification when something's happening or if I'm mentioned or something like that. So. I do need to get better. Gotcha. What's up? What's up? What I need to do is just lop off the Facebook arm. Just realize oh, that that's no. doing nobody any. No, no Facebook. Just go. Just stop checking. Yeah. And spend more time with friends on. Yeah. Facebook. No one needs Facebook. Not not even Facebook needs Facebook. <laughs> no. All right. So yes, we are talking about Enemy at the Gates, uh, released in two thousand one. Uh, this was written and directed by Jean Jacques Anod. Uh, who is uh, very obviously French. Uh, we have a co-writing credit to Elaine Godard, uh, also French, I believe. Uh, this was predominantly filmed in Germany, actually in East Germany, just because there was at the time some really good still like Cold War era buildings and even some fairly destroyed cities, amazingly, um, that they did some of the shooting in. So um, just a little cool behind the scenes thing. Uh, Tom, what is the movie about? Well, as we alluded to before, it's about snipers. Yes. And more specifically, a better description than that. We're set in the Battle of Stalingrad, which takes place in the winter of 1942 during World War II. Uh, Vasily, a young Russian sharpshooter, becomes a living legend when a savvy political officer makes him the hero of a propaganda campaign to turn the war effort around. Their friendship is strained when both men fall in love with the same woman, who we all know eventually ends up with Daniel Craig. Anyhow, so <laughs> this is uh, true. Both out of luck. Uh, and but as the battle for the city rages, Vasily faces the ultimate test when a not when the Nazi command dispatches an elite marksman, uh, Major Koenig, uh, to hunt down and kill the man that has become the hope of all Russians. And it's based on William Craig's 1973 nonfiction book by the same name. Yeah, so Vasily Zaitsev uh, actually was a a real person. Uh, of of course, a lot of the stuff that we know we know in air quotes about uh, Vasily Zaitsev is actually a product of that real life propaganda campaign. So, in a lot of cases, we don't know if stuff was true or not um, about him. But 
you know, nonetheless, he is a, a huge, legit uh, wartime hero in Russia. I mean, there's like lots of museum uh, uh, displays about Vasily Zaitsev and all that. So very notable uh, cast. Um, no, Daniel Craig is not in this, despite his wife being in here. Uh, so we have Jude Law, who who plays uh, our lead character of, of Vasily Zaitsev. Uh, Ed Harris plays Major Koenig. I think he does an awesome, awesome job playing Major Koenig. I, I so good. Ed Harris is great in everything. I can't think of a role of Ed Harris's that I don't like. Even though like there might be a movie I'm not a fan of that he's in, but his roles are always solid. Uh, so Rachel Weisse, uh, who plays uh, Tanya Chernova, uh, and Rachel Weisse, for those of you who don't know, is Daniel Craig's wife. We have Joe Fines, uh, not to be confused with Ray. And there's another one, isn't there? Probably. My wife pointed out that if if you're a fan of Handmaid's Tale, the show on mm-hmm. Hulu, uh, Joe Fine plays uh, sort of the main, uh, one of the main characters in there, yeah. uh, the, the commander that uh, sort of is at the center of the first season and, and plays a central figure going forward after that. I that. I it was one of those moments where he's so young in this movie that I was sort of like he looks familiar and he has a beard and handmaid's tale but as soon as she said that I was like oh yeah yes so I enjoyed this much more and he was a bastard <laughs> just, like just like he is in that show yeah so he plays uh Commissar Danilov uh who is a political officer uh in this and that, that's a that's a thing that is very unique to i don't know if it's only uh the the soviets slash russians who have had the political officer thing but it is uh, uh it's very common to them and we see it in, in in a number of different movies that they have this and it's an interesting uh truly they they are are not part of properly part of the military chain of command right they're essentially political hacks that are sent to manage certain military elements right yeah and i'll confess that i'm not a an expert on the history of the soviet army but what um, fire you're fired he's, oh, you're well, fired you know that's it's it. not part of the basic training block of it <laughs> but no these uh it, i think you see it play out a little in this movie we'll probably talk about it in a second here but uh they seem separately accountable from the traditional like line yeah. officers, uh, I would say like maybe a, an additional layer of accountability to the the political arm of the, the Soviet yeah. party because you see that they, there's that great scene we'll talk about with Khrushchev sort of confronting all of the political mm-hmm. officers at once and asking for recommendations on how to turn things yeah. around. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's also a, a particular role that we see in um, at least a couple of submarine movies that jump out to me. Uh, we have a political officer in uh, Hunt for October, and we also have mm-hmm. one in uh, Das Boot, uh, which I, I watched again recently, just a couple weeks ago. It had been a few years since I, I've seen Das Boot, and it's 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 really, really just a damn good movie. It makes me want to, like, after I watch that movie, I have to go outside and just stretch. Yeah, you really do. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> the, the, some of the scenes in the sub is, they're just so claustrophobic. And, and it's not something I'm particularly prone to, but it just, yeah. And, and so many people. And then there's just always machinery and equipment you're having to move mm-hmm. around. And 
you know, then they're storing food like under the torpedo tubes and like just weird. Like, I'm, you know, where do you put stuff in a submarine? It's just it's it's all it's very odd. Uh, let's see. Bob Hoskins. You mentioned Nikita Khrushchev. Uh, Bob Hoskins uh, plays the role of Nikita Khrushchev, uh, who you probably that name is probably familiar to you. He became uh, uh, one of the, the premiers of uh, Soviet Union. Ron Perlman, uh, another really good actor, and he's such a quirky guy, um, and he plays really, really interesting, quirky roles. And even in this, I mean, his whole metal teeth thing, uh, you know, I mean, he's basically Jaws from from James Bond in this movie, uh, right. just the sniper version of of that. Um, he, he plays Kolokov. And then uh, n- not that the actor is is particularly uh, like, you know, a list like a lot of these other actors are. Uh, but I did want to put the actor in here. One young actors, always cool to, to you know, support them and, and, and put them up. Uh, but also because the role that he played. Not that I necessarily promote violence, much less against kids, but you, there's a part of this movie that before there's a reveal made, you just kind of want to punch the kid in the face. I, I mean, am I wrong, Tom? No, I had and. I'll confess I had forgotten that uh, that that reveal happens. And I was like, this motherfucker sold <laughs> Vasily out for a bar of chocolate. Yes. And Marissa kind of shrugs and she was like, well, there was also some bacon. In <laughs> well, that's that's true. That's true. I mean, the the things that but we yeah, would do right. for bacon. Uh, yeah. So Gabriel Thompson plays Sasha. And yeah, you know, there's so many times that. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. You, you just want to like. You want to punch him in the face. It, it, it just, man, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Uh, so let's see. Yeah. So we, we kind of start off with the, the, the state of war in this. And it's not very often. One thing that is uh, that does make this film a little unique from from many others is that this is a film about the Eastern Front in World War Two. And that is not something that is very often covered, especially considering that most movies are American made. And therefore, most most movies are going to highlight the role of uh, of the allies in in a war. And, and yes, Russia was an ally in, in World War Two. I totally understand that. Uh, but they were the other ally, <laughs> uh, you know, especially understanding that at the beginning of the war, they actually were allied with Germany. There was a treaty there until Hitler finally said, piss off. I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, so, you know, it, it was certainly an uneasy alliance. Uh, so, yeah, there's very, very little that's done about uh, Russia's role in the war. And and this is the Battle of Stalingrad, which was particularly brutal um, as, as you know, the, the, the Nazis were trying to take over uh, the, the city that it was the namesake of, uh, of, of Comrade Stalin. And, um, you know, the, the, the Russians, they, they held out, um, many of them rather being forced to do so. Yeah. And it, <clears throat> the interesting backdrop, you get bits of it in, uh, the, the scene that mostly comes to mind about where the Germans are at this point in time. Uh, there are two scenes that stand out. I have always, always loved that introduction with the map at the beginning of the movie where it sort of sets the scene and describes how the, uh, you know, the, 
the Third Reich is at the height of its power. It's spread. And you just see this like ink blot moving across Europe and into uh, toward the Caspian Sea to, to sort of set the table. I remember the first time I watched this movie in theaters thinking that that was so cool. But there's a scene later with the uh, the German general that's in, in charge of the offensive and Major Koenig. And the general makes the comment about, well, we should trust Hitler's instincts on mm. this. You know, he's the Fuhrer after all. And that they don't go into a ton of detail about it, but it touches on a really important point that sort of frames all of this because the at this point in time, the Germans uh, had attempted and failed in the spring of 42 to just smash Russia and, and take mm-hmm. it. They, uh, they, they ran into the meat grinder, for lack of a better term, and sort of reset. And this obviously pisses Hitler off. And so in July of 42, just a few months before this battle starts, Hitler just rewrites the entire battle campaign. Yeah. This is a guy with like, you know, little to no military experience whatsoever outside of his own enlisted time. And, and uh, here he is just redoing all the objectives uh, that his military minds had come mm-hmm. up with. And he not only expanded what they intended to do, but he targeted Stalingrad as a propaganda target. For obvious reasons, and uh, Khrushchev's character mentions it later on that like this is the city that bears the boss's mm-hmm. name, right? This is the big one, and uh, I love how he's referred to I how Stalin's referred to as the boss by by, by Khrushchev. I, it's it's a it's a just kind of a it's so funny that it's a very casual name in this very like you know regimented <laughs> uh you know if 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 you don't obey we're going to assassinate you kind of of structure that the soviet union had you know when that in that sense when when it's like the boss is going to terminate you that literally is true <laughs> so it works out with Stalin. but no i mean he like that's what this becomes like between the soviets and in germany as this I, you know, I don't want to be crude here, but like a dick measuring contest, yeah. right? They're trying to like the Soviets are trying to protect it, you know, sort of as a, a strategic speed bump to, to the oil fields uh, that, that lie beyond it. But also because it it's a huge propaganda. I think what would happen if the, the city that bears Stalin's name falls yeah. to the Germans and Hitler sees the exact same value in it, even if his military leaders, I guess, on some level don't agree with that. But they both throw everything mm-hmm. in this fight. And yeah, I mean, it's the mentality certainly that uh, that the Russians had in this was they will continue throwing everything that they possibly can at it. And quite honestly, that's really the only reason that they won. I certainly not to question the the resolve of, of individuals who, who fought uh, in this particular battle. But it really came down to, in a lot of ways, uh, just a matter of numbers. You know, the Russians had an awful lot of people and they had no problem taking, you know, they would have taken 90 percent of their population if they had to solely to defend the city. And so long as there was a Russian in the city, that city was not given up and they just kept pushing him in and pushing him in uh, and, and truly the well, the 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 opening scene that we see in this is, is a flashback of of uh, of, of Vasilis, him uh, hunting a wolf with his grandfather, which is something that kind of comes to bear later on in, in, in the movie a bit, uh, and it's also very um, um, it, it's a lot of imagery of of 
his uh, conflict in particular with uh, with Major Koenig. But there's also the matter of um, completely forgot where I was going. Oh, yeah. Uh, just them having this this such a position that they were not going to give up this city truly at all costs. Whereas by rights, I mean, the city didn't exist anymore. It was completely bombed out. It did not exist. There there wasn't an intact building anywhere in that city. Yet the Russians just kept pushing people in, even though they knew that truly, uh, in, in well, as I was saying, the, 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 the opening battle scene of this, where people were just getting slaughtered, uh, you know, the, the moment they basically crossed a particular line. So it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, what stood out to me is that there's a, it's not right at the beginning, but um, there's a scene as Khrushchev's envoy arrives and you've got all these civilians just desperately massed at the dock and they're they're just trying to get out uh, because there is no way. I mean, they're, they're trapped and, and historically, famously, I mean, there was nothing in this city. I mean, it, civilians were scrounging and eating stories of them eating rats and clay and <coughs> yeah. Excuse me, just anything they could to survive, and you see that sort of desperation play out. And Khrushchev is Khrushchev, the, the typical Soviet higher mm-hmm. up. He's just sort of like magnificently striding off the boat, and, and you know, uh, these are the very people they're purporting to protect and, and be fighting for. And he couldn't care less as he he goes in to deal with the lead general. Yeah, there. so it's a really desperate situation, and the Soviet military is not exactly equipped to handle no, all this no. um that the scene where they uh they cross the river uh, to deliver the troops into battle um and, and sort of the lead up to that to include them putting the padlock on the train mm. as as they dump the civilians off and they don't want any uh any russians on the train mm-hmm. no deserters yeah and or excuse me deserters like hopping off the train i should say um but as they're as they're crossing that river, that scene made like an indelible mark on me because you've got a bunch of young kids, even though he's like 28, 29 in this movie, like Jude Law is an mm-hmm. actor. He looks like he's 18. Oh, or 19. Totally. That was probably intentionally yeah. done. But you see that sort of loss of innocence mm-hmm. as they're crossing over and they, they all see the ruins of Stalingrad. And it's just sort of this yeah. moment right after they've uh, you know been shot up. They've got no air cover as the Luftwaffe just has free reign to strafe the boats and whatnot. Yeah. It's just a mess of a scene. And, I, you know, easily like a quarter of the boats that were making their way across the river were, were shot up. People were uh, jumping into the water to avoid getting sh- uh, strafed by the, the Luftwaffe. And as they did, the, the there were machine gunners on the boats whose sole purpose was to kill the people who jumped in the water, so so they they couldn't yeah, get away. Political officers that jump right into action. yeah yeah, <laughs> and so then this kind of unfolds as they they make their way to the shore, and as they file off the boats, they're they're every other man uh, one is issued a rifle, the next one is issued a, a, a magazine, and uh, what what is it that they're told, Tom? I I I know you you know this phrase very well. This was burned into me the first time I watched it in the theaters. And my friends and I used to, 
like we'd play BB guns back in the day, <laughs> airsoft, if, if you guys have heard of it out there. And uh, we'd have like force on force games where we would replicate this. So you have the political officer that's shouting the one with the rifle shoots, the one without the rifle follows when the one with the rifle gets killed. The one without picks up the rifle and starts yeah. to shoot. So we would get we would get half the number of uh, BB guns to everybody and just play out enemy at the gates. And it's you know it's fantastic and, and it's just one more thing that shows the desperation on the Russian side that they didn't even have enough weapons to equip all their people. And uh, you know of course as it is we have Vasily who's a sharpshooter and uh, you know. He, he he gets handed a magazine. Yeah, one. And so you know he's he's <laughs> scrambling and he's running be, behind you know the, the the people who have guns, uh, fundamentally waiting for one of them to get shot so he can get a rifle. Uh, and so in the, in the midst of all this, well, b- before we continue following Vasily, it's it's certainly worth mentioning that uh the, the russians get routed because the 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 germans the germans have a line the germans have a fortified line they've got sandbags they've got machine guns they have uh, uh, tanks they have all the shit there and as soon as the the germans kind of make their way up over this little or the russians rather make their way over this little knoll they they just get shot right to hell so yeah, it's a total shooting. Yeah. Battle, right? So then you, you have uh, some of the surviving Russians who are like, screw this. I'm going back. Well, little did they know that after they ran up, the Russians pulled in some machine guns uh, behind that position. So knowing that any knowing that some Russians inevitably would be wanting to retreat. And uh, so they shot up their own people. And it just again, it just underscores the desperation of this and the mentality of the Russian leadership. When that scene does such a good job of displaying like the, the uh, difference between the two armies, uh, not just from equipment, but like you see the, the Germans there with like MG 42 machine guns and uh, semi-automatic rifles. Meanwhile, the Russians are using bolt action mm-hmm. weapons. They're uh, the machine gun that gets pulled up to, kill their own men is like a war one like vicar oh yeah style, totally like water cooled machine yep. gun that thing's like 30 years old yep. uh, it, it basically weighs the same as a small cannon because i mean it's on wheels and they're having yeah to wheel it into position in this muddy rocky soil and oh yeah just everything about it screams desperation yeah when they just make there's no uh you know tactical thought to it it's just a head-on civil war style yeah. charge and uh ultimately the the general that's in charge of this whole uh, defensive maneuver catastrophe uh gets a visit from khrushchev mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's like really heartbreaking and they put Vasily right in the middle of it because he has no rifle and there's that moment where somebody gets shot and drops their rifle and you think he's going to get one and then someone else picks it up. Yeah, it gets picked. Up. Yeah. So it's and it, it, it's it's just really interesting. So then you see this dichotomy of this desperation of the Russians. And then it goes into the next scene where we see a, uh, a, a Nazi colonel. He gets undressed. He goes behind this uh, little, you know, he's he's in this bombed out building and he's taking a shower. 
Uh, and it, like he had food delivered to him and, you know, he's he's got his, uh, you know, he has kind of his whole entourage there and all this stuff is happening. And we're seeing this from playing out from the viewpoint of uh, uh, initially uh, uh, Komar Kamasar, uh, Danilov, is in he's hiding out in a in a, a, a bombed out fountain. Like a you know, if you picture the like central square of a of, of a of a nice city where they have this big water fountain in the middle, so he's inside this fountain. There's no water in there, uh, but there is uh, three dozen bodies easily uh, in there, and so he's actually hiding underneath the bodies. So as as the Russians go by, and the Russians seem to have this proclivity, uh, n- either knowing or suspecting that live people were hiding amongst the bodies of just shooting bodies. Uh, if they came across a, a, a pile of dead bodies, they would just shoot them to, you know, maybe try to kill someone in there who is alive. And uh, so, so Danilov survives this and he, he sees this playing out with this Colonel and he's going to be, you know, a good dedicated Russian despite everything. And he, finds a rifle and he's going to shoot this colonel. And uh, and so we now discover Vasily has has been hiding in there as well. Vasily sees that this guy is an idiot and can't shoot. He doesn't even know how to handle the rifle. He's got cracked, dirty glasses and can't deal with a jam. And, uh, you know, so (laughs) they have this great exchange where Vasily's like, I'll shoot him if, if you want. And, you know, and, and, and he has just, you know, the intelligence of it that every time there's a uh, an explosion from a bomb or from artillery fire or something like that, that's when he's pulling the trigger. So there's Nazis dropping like flies and not even realizing it, you know, basically until it's too late. Uh, and, you know, he does end up uh, killing the the showering colonel and. um and then, you know, now suddenly they become fast friends and Danilov realizes, hey, this guy's awesome. This is the this is the the epitome of, of Russian might. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to I we, we need to to basically use this guy's name and, and, and his his actions to the best of our ability. Uh, so then this gets us into that scene, the opening scene uh, or the scene that, that we are introduced to, to Khrushchev. Tom, that, that you started to describe before. You want to talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Khrushchev arrives on scene. Basically, stuff is not going well in Stalingrad. They're losing scores of men, and it's significant that Khrushchev is sent. He's one of uh, Stalin's top men at this point, and he's sent in to clean things up. And there's this like really macabre moment at the beginning where he's meeting with this like sweaty, scared general who's like, confessing that he you know he did all he could he sent it, all his boys in and, and they all got killed and uh khrushchev just puts a pistol in front of him and says you know why if you prefer to cut through the red tape you know that'll make things a little easier and then you hear him shoot himself mm-hmm. as khrushchev is staring down the rest of the political officers but it, you get this great moment where um Danilov sort of seizes on the opportunity. Uh, and, and I love, this is one of like the funniest scenes in the movie to me because Khrushchev is like, what, you know, anybody got any great ideas? And you get two officers that sort of sputter out. One's like, deport the families of yeah. those who 
fail of the generals and kill all the generals that don't perform. He's like, yeah, 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 that's all been. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like they're they're going Daniel through Love the laundry com- list of of you know shit that oppressive governments do. To check, check, done that. Yep, yep, done that. <laughs> but Danilov has this. Uh, I mean, it, like seemingly genius idea of giving the soldiers hope. Like, how about you do something to increase morale and give them an example to follow? And what better endeavor for a political officer than to take somebody and and just really, uh, I don't know that you needed to trump up Vasily's actions any more than what he was already doing, but certainly, you know, somebody smart and well-educated like Danilov could take a story like this and spin it into a really fantastical tale uh, he suggests starting up the army paper again as a means of getting word out because it's not like Russian sh- soldiers all don't even have a weapon. It's not like they have access to radios or anything like right. that. So, you know, get these pamphlets distributed, uh, spread the word about this this mythic hero from the Urals, this farm boy. He's just like you. He's, he, you know, he brought himself up by his bootstraps. And, uh, you know, so you should be able to fight the, the Nazis just like he is. And rally them around an average Soviet citizen like this. And it starts to work. There's this great scene. They, they roll into that montage from there where uh, Vasily is just uh, killing uh, German after German. And along with that goes the strategy that they sort of adopt here, which is uh, one of asymmetric warfare. They're using their snipers not to target the average German foot soldier or machine gunner or something like that, but they're targeting officers Mm -hmm. strategically. And it starts to have a real effect because then you get into uh, the, the, you see the effect as Koenig arrives that it's having on the German army as they're having to rapidly uh, provide battlefield promotions to uh, NCOs, uh, you know, just dozens of sergeants are getting promoted to officer just to fill the spots that these dead officers left. So it's, it's a brilliant move by Danilov to, to help sort of turn the tide strategically of the war, but also give a real shot in the arm uh, from the propaganda side. And it starts, starts to work. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely does. And it, um, you know, they're, they're, they're printing pamphlets and newspapers about this and such. And so, you know, you mentioned major Koenig and so it, it obviously the 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 uh, exploits of Vasily Zaitsev, uh, great Russian war hero, gets the attention of, of of the Nazis enough for them to send Major Koenig, and so we we only kind of get a, a little bit of exposure to him. Uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting as he's on a train going uh, headed to the Russian front, and you know he has his luxury car, his luxury meal, he's got these great curtains and that kind of stuff. And he pulls up next to a train of, uh, you know, injured and, and battered Nazi soldiers. And he just, you know, draws the shade down. So, you know, they're not looking at him or he doesn't have to look at them, whichever way you, you, you want to view it. Uh, and, you know, so he, he he's he's very much uh, kind of the epitome of of a Nazi officer, as, as you would expect. And he's very he's very laser focused on what it is that he has to do. And you almost do get a sense though, that he's not even completely bought into the whole, 
uh, political Nazi side of things. He's just he's a soldier. He's a soldier who happens to be really yeah. good at what he does. He's been promoted multiple times. And it's less so because of politics and more so because of how good he is at his job. Yeah, I mean, he is the epitome of an instrument of war. Mm-hmm. That's that's for sure. But you, I somehow missed this when I first watched it because I was like a teenager when I first saw this in the theaters. But it really struck me toward the end of the movie that uh, when they're he's he's handing off his dog tags to the German commanding officer mm-hmm. because he's told you know if you fall you're gonna fall yep. unknown because it'd be a huge propaganda victory to the Russians. But he takes this medal off that he's wearing and he hands that over and he says, uh, you know, if you'll see that this gets back, it belonged to my son. He was a lieutenant and he was killed Mm -hmm. here. That caused me to sort of go back and think about all these scenes in a completely different light. What seemed like as he was pulling down the shade, uh, you know, this this kind of cold moment, you know, I almost think in a a different sense like that, you know, he's seeing his Mm. son. Oh, yeah you know, in these soldiers that are laying beside the, the train and whatnot. And what I love about the subtlety of his characters, and this goes to your point, Tim, that uh, he has these moments where you can tell that, uh, you know, he, he doesn't agree with Nazi methodology. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's that exchange that I mentioned before with him and the general, where the, the general sort of, fills in the gap and says, well, we should just trust what the Fuhrer mm-hmm. <laughs> intends here. And Koenig just sort of stares. Yeah. And uh, later there's the exchange where he says, you know, I, they captured a prisoner and he's like, well, I hope that he can still. Oh fall. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and the, the, one of my favorite scenes is one later where he's like looking sort of in half disgust at this German soldier that's pilfering bodies out on the battlefield, stealing watches and, mm-hmm all sorts of stuff and ends up kind of screwing up his uh, a moment where he's almost able to kill Vasily. Yep, yep. Uh, but yeah, Koenig's just an interesting character sort of, you hear stories that, you know, that the German army uh, existed before Hitler and, and certainly the, the professional uh, soldiers in that army were not always Nazis. And so I, I think he would fit the mold of a German that obviously he's a bad guy. He's fighting for the Nazis fighting for the third Reich. But his sort of ties to the professional, the profession of arms go a little deeper than maybe his any ties he has to the Nazi ideology. So he's a complex guy. Yeah. So he goes to this, uh, it's like a department store, you know, multi-level store. And we see there's mannequins in there and all sorts of stuff. And this is really, I, I mean, I, I think Koenig certainly would have killed Vasily if he had the opportunity to. But I think that. From the get go, based on what he was hearing about Vasily, he knew that he was reasonably talented at this. And so I think, at least to me, this particular scene at the, the department store was was more a uh, it, it was more research than anything else on Koenig's part. He wanted to see what Vasily would do. He wanted to see how he moved. And of course, there then ended up being this uh, twist to the thing that no one accounted for. And that was the fact that um, the, the Luftwaffe did a, a, a bombing run on the city. So I don't think I, I you know, I'm not sure that Koenig knew about the bombing run. Obviously, the, the Russians didn't. So they were up there. And uh, at this point, Vasily was teamed up with 
two others who were husband and wife or at least in some relationship with each other. Uh, and, and so they both end up getting killed in, in the midst of this. Um, and, you know, Vasily gets out of it, but it was, it was very clearly like in the middle of it, he realized we just walked into a trap and he's like, you know, we're essentially pinned down. We can't move. And then the bombing starts. The other people start freaking out and they're like, I'm getting out of here. And Vasily's like, if you if you get up, you're dead. And well, they were. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's cool because he he has this realization that they're dealing with somebody that's a little smarter than the yeah. average bear. Yeah, totally. And and somebody who's especially dangerous. And so that that sense of danger sort of overrides his any kind of fear he would have had about the bomb or the bombing or anything yeah. like that. So then in the next couple scenes here, we're, we're basically uh, introduced to some of the other pivotal people in this story. And this story, I think a lot of like a lot of the other uh, war movies we cover, there's a there's always this, you know, strong, like very direct war aspect to it of, of conflict. But then there is there's relationships and, you know, the, the human relationships ground us a lot in, in the, the the things that we uh, that we're seeing in these movies. And so this is where more of this comes together. Cause really at this point, the only relationship we see is between Vasily and Danilov. And uh, so we get introduced to, to Sasha and Sasha is basically, you know, a street urchin who is, uh, you know, like everyone knows him, everyone loves him. Great kid, you know, does stuff for them. Uh, and in a little bit, we realize that he is also he's he's working for the Nazis. He's like polishing boots and that kind of stuff. And then even more ends up getting rolled out of, of about Sasha. But Sasha ends up in an interesting place because he essentially becomes a trusted. He's obviously a trusted person within uh, the the Russian resistance. But then he also has access to the Nazis. Uh, by virtue of, of, of his job there. Uh, and then Tanya, who is um, a, another Russian soldier, and she ends up kind of in this, uh, you know, familial relationship with people. And both Vasily and Danilov, uh, when they get introduced to her, it, it's at this moment where they are in um, is it Tanya's. Is that Tanya's mother? I don't know if it's her mother. She claims she's her mother when they, she's in, Tanya's injured and they're boarding that boat. Um, I think she, Tanya's yeah. is, I don't know if she's a leader or just a member of the local militia. And so her job is to coordinate yeah. and, and assist civilians. So she, clearly they have a relationship there and this is sort of her central base yeah. of operations. Yeah. yeah. So they're they're both uh, both Vasily and Danilov are, are are you know very taken with her the the moment that they see her, and uh, what what they were what they were doing in this woman's kitchen, uh, aside from getting a, a good meal, was uh, Danilov had received a bunch of basically fan mail for Vasily, and uh, so Vasily needed to respond to a lot of these, and he kind of takes the opportunity in front of of of, of Tanya to. Kind of treat Vasily, Vasily like he's you know an idiot or, or uneducated, and to promote himself 
you know, as being the wise, smart political officer, and he's like there's, spelling things there's no, for Vasily there's no K as, and as he's writing back these letters and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's it's just kind of this, you know flirting and 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 you know puffing their chest out kind of like thing i said earlier he's kind of a bastard at points in this movie <laughs> redeems oh, himself yeah, yeah he, he absolutely is so then it it jumps over to uh the the russians now send in uh kolikov and kolikov is a he's a known sniper he actually has an interesting history because he trained under koenig uh, at one point. And so I think that's one of the biggest reasons why he's sent in because he supposedly knows how Koenig thinks. And uh, it's interesting that, you know, kind of as they're sitting around, they've they've set up this little ambush. They're kind of waiting to see if they're going to find Koenig also. And uh, it, it all starts with them shooting the, the, the telephone repair guy. Uh, you know, they, they shoot out a, a telephone wire and then, you know, a little while later, uh, you know, you have the guy with the reel of of of, uh, of of telephone cable strapped to his back, crawling along. And talk about know, the worst job <laughs> with or without oh, a sniper it totally it totally aiming is. at you. <laughs> yeah. And so basically what they're doing there is a, OK, we have established to the enemy that there are snipers in the area. And what we hope the enemy is going to do is send their sniper to the area. And hopefully we're going to be able to draw him out and see him and kill him. So that's basically what it, it's. It's a sniper versus sniper kind of thing. And um, the as they're kind of sitting around waiting now for, you know, they reposition and they're sitting around waiting for for the for the for the, the Nazis to be doing something. Kolokov starts talking to Vasily a little bit about his history and about Koenig and studying under him. And then, you know, the difficult time that he's given by the Russians that like, well, why did you spend this this time in in Germany before the war? And he's like, because you sent me there. (laughs) You sent me there to to train as a sniper. And he's like, well, you know, then they accused me of being a spy and they questioned my loyalty and then they bashed my teeth out. And he goes into this whole like, bam. Bam! And they bash my teeth out, and you know, so that's why he has these metal teeth, and it's just a very, very you know quirky personality kind of thing. And so they also had this this uh, kid, uh, you know, older kid, very young soldier with him, probably in his like mid teens, who was less of a soldier and more of a gopher. So you know, they got into this position and. Uh, uh, Kolokov, he's like, I'm hungry. Go get me some food. And so he sends the kid out to go get some food. The kid ends up getting captured uh, by the Nazis. And um, as as the Russians had hoped, Koenig does, in fact, come to the area because it was recognized that there was sniper activity. But Koenig now decides he's going to set his own trap. And he's outsmarting the people who are trying to set a trap for him, puts the kid in a Nazi uniform, puts the uh, uh, cable reel on on his back and says, let's send him out. And so they send him out. And uh, uh, I can't remember if it was Vasily or I think it was Vasily that shot him. Yeah, I can't, it, it may have been. I can't recall. Yeah. They, and, and of course, they didn't realize who it was. And, and you know, they shot him. 
And then that got uh, Koenig to identify what where their position was. And um, in knowing now where their position was, uh, as they were then to move positions, as snipers will often do after you shoot, you then have to relocate because if you keep shooting in the same from the same area, they then know where you are. In the relocation, uh, Kolokov got killed by Koenig in like this epic shot of Kolokov jumping over, you know, it's a, they're in a bombed out building part of the, there's a big gap in the floor. And so as he jumps the gap in the floor, that was right after he, he prevented Vasily from jumping first with <clears throat> obviously going, going yes. first is the better position because you've got the element of surprise. Whereas anybody else following behind right. is going to get a hole in their britches. Yeah. Yeah. As yeah, as 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 Kolokov <laughs> did the the first time, so yeah, Kolokov's killed, and it's interesting because Vasily, Vasily didn't wait. I mean, as Kolokov started running, Vasily was right on his heels. So truly, he saw Kolokov's head explode like a foot yeah. and a half in front of him. I mean, he was that close. So you know, Vasily then goes back and he's kind of debriefing it with people, and he's like, yeah, you know, there's there's a guy out there and he's legit and he knew exactly where we were and exactly what we were doing and how we were going to do it. And he pulled off this amazing shot. And now Vasily has all the self doubt, which then um, the political side of this gets drawn back out. And, and so, you know, they're trying to uh, between Danilov and, and Khrushchev, they know that they need to continue elevating Vasily as, as this, this mythical it's war hero. Too long. Uh, the, he's, yeah, 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 exactly. It's the whole thing is taking too long and, and Khrushchev is getting very impatient. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he, he basically wants this battle won. And so he brings, uh, has Vasily come out to this official function. He gets a nice clean uniform. You know, there's all this great <laughs> food around and all this opulence and, and, and such, uh, he, he gets to, um, he gets to meet Khrushchev and, you know, Khrushchev says, Hey, I'm going to, you know, going to bring you to the boss. And uh, of course, Stalin wasn't there, but there was this nice uh, big portrait of Stalin. And, you know, Khrushchev is like whispering in, in Vasily's ear, trying to, you know, give him that confidence of, you know, that the, 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 the boss is looking at you. He's that the, the boss is expecting good things from you and, and, and all this, but also kind of in this meeting, he realizes that Tanya is, is also there. Because uh, Delanov actually got her reassigned. So she would be out of a war zone. She would be safe. He's trying to continue to impress her and take care of her. And she is none no. too happy about no. that. And he does make a, a decent case that, hey, you're, you know, we're us political officers, us, us educated folk are uh, born for a different purpose. We, we have our purpose in the war effort. And folks like Vasily. Yes. have theirs and you're not you're not like him but it all sort of backfires <laughs> on him what i like that's that picture of stalin is like the painting of the painting of vigo in ghostbusters 2 it's so menacing <laughs> yes <laughs> and, oh it totally is because it's so huge yeah, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous absolutely ostentatious and vasily is having enough problems you know he comes in and is just getting bombarded by questions about people. It's clear that sort of his backstory as a kid has maybe been inflated a little bit. 
you know, hey, I heard you killed your first wolf at, at age five. Well, actually, I I missed him and my grandfather had to shoot him off of our horse. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's just sort of he's completely out of his element where um, Danilov is completely in his element. It's it's sort of like the only time mm-hmm. in the movie where you see those ro- roles just get completely reversed. Yeah. And so it's um, just about here now that we realize and, and I'm rearranging things in the show notes because I realized I had the wrong chronological order where we're realizing we're coming to realize now that Sasha is actually a double agent. And so the information that he's feeding to, you know, they they cut periodically to these scenes of of of, of Koenig sitting there getting his boots polished by Sasha. And he's, you know, he starts off just having casual conversation with Sasha and Sasha happens to let out. Oh, yeah, I've I've I, I know Vasily Zaitsev. I met him. I held his rifle once, <laughs> I, you know. And so, of course, this piques uh, Koenig's curiosity and Koenig starts questioning him a little bit more and kind of probing gently. And then he starts bribing him. He brings him the chocolate and the bacon and all sorts of, of, of terrific things. And Sasha you, you think Sasha's weak getting drawn out. He's actually allowing himself to be drawn out. And so you realize, okay, the, the, the kid's smart and he's playing the game. Well, before this, you just, again, you wanted to punch the kid. Um, and so he, he's giving this information. And, and so S- Sasha tells the major, he says, Oh yeah, well, I, I, I know the route that Vasily takes to go out into the city. He, you know, goes through this part of the factory and there's a part of the factory where he's exposed and, and all this. And so Koenig's like, well, hey, this is fantastic. So Koenig goes and does just that. He he goes up into this factory. And there was a cool little bit of foreshadowing earlier in the film where as they were making this way through the factory, uh, Vasily happens to catch out of the corner of his eye uh, a, a someone with a rifle perched up like on a, on a catwalk up on top of the factory. And he comes to realize that it was a soldier who had gotten shot and has been long dead. So that's the place that Koenig sets up, uh, which then is real smart because now Vasily doesn't even think to look twice in that position. Um, and that is the position uh, through which Koenig uh, shoots whoever was with Vasily at the time and has Vasily pinned down. And it's really only because uh, Tanya has, has returned and has concern for Vasily that she then goes out and helps him get out of this. When and the Luftwaffe comes to his rescue again by oh, yes. another bombing run that that shatters all that glass. And so he's able to direct her in sort of a brilliant move to to grab mm-hmm. a piece of this glass and and blind Koenig briefly. Mm-hmm. Um what's amazing about that scene is Koenig can see him. He sees yes. his reflection and sees he's talking to somebody uh he just mm-hmm. doesn't know what's going on and so you see this great he has no spotter with him nope. so he has to constantly take his eye off of the target and sort of scan around or move his uh move his scope over to to try to look around to find whoever uh the the other person is yeah yeah and 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 that that's a good point it's an interesting thing that through all of this Koenig works alone and uh the, the the general uh, modern application of snipers is, is that snipers go out in, in, in two person teams. You have a sniper and a spotter uh, and, and generally they're interchangeable. 
you know, one will relieve the other. But while the the person who's a designated sniper is in position specifically watching their target, the spotter is there kind of keeping an eye on the big picture. They're the one who has a little bit broader situation uh, awareness and they're seeing what's going on around them. They'll help uh, the sniper uh, with a range finder to make sure that we have the, the proper range and windage and all that kind of stuff, because at long distances, all that stuff uh, uh, affects the trajectory of, of the bullet and everything. Uh, so we do see well, we don't really see that that formal sniper spotter relationship between Vasily and the people he's out with in a lot of cases. We do at least see that Vasily is going out with other people. Um, whereas Koenig does not at all. Koenig is a lone wolf. He's like, I-, I got this. I've been doing this a long time. I teach other snipers. I'm here to do my thing. Leave me alone. And so he's operating very much. Well, he does have these conversations with the general. Uh, he's ge- He seems to be very much out of the chain of command there. He's been sent there by high command to do a job. Regardless of who is in charge in that operating area, he goes in to do the job and, and that's it. That's all he wants to do. Um, so, yeah, so you have this whole situation on the factory floor and uh, Koenig, Koenig gets injured, doesn't he? Yeah, he gets shot in the hand. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's right. And there's that great scene where he's, he's meeting with Sasha again and he says he was almost right where you told me he would be. Almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's starting to to get a little suspicious that Sasha maybe isn't providing him with all of the facts or maybe uh-huh. he's feeding information right back to to Vasily. Yeah. And Sasha makes another brilliant play. He's very observant and relays to Vasily like, hey, I clean Koenig's boots. He's got this yellow dust on them. There's only one place in the entire city that mm-hmm. has that. And it's this factory, uh, mm-hmm. you know, over in this certain sector. And so that's that's Vasily's chance to set up his own trap and get him uh, as, as he's moving into position. Yeah. Unfortunately, Vasily doesn't uh, doesn't sleep at a Holiday Inn or whatever the commercial is <laughs> <laughs> the night before and finds yeah. himself dozing off as he's in position with that pile of like uh, yellow material in front of him, like some sort of mineral deposit. Yeah. And it's, it, it was the night before this that, um, yeah, they, they did show that there was kind of some impromptu celebration and, and like, you know, all the, 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 this Russian resistance seems to basically be living underground way more people there than what the capacity of the, the, the place is. I mean, when they're sleeping, they're truly shoulder to shoulder. Um, yet somehow Vasily and Tanya still managed to get it on without waking the guy next to them. I don't know how that I, happens. I will say when that scene happened in the theaters, I was sitting next to my dad and I was like 16 at the time. This is 2001. So yeah, I was like 16. One of the most awkward moments, like any sex scene where you're sitting next to one of your parents, I was just like, oh, well, maybe I'll go get some popcorn right now. Just suddenly have to use the bathroom. That's but yeah, it was, <laughs> that's all I think about now that I see that scene. Yeah. Uh, every time since then. <laughs> so, yeah. So Vasily didn't, uh, he clearly didn't, didn't sleep well that night. And he, he gets himself into this position overlooking this mound of this this yellow dust 
which seemed to be like a, a after process from from the factory. And uh, he's in with a basically a bunch of dead bodies and kind of half covers himself up in these bodies and such. And he has a really good position. So interestingly enough, as we talked about how much Vasily did not work alone, we now see him working alone. Mm-hmm. And this is certainly very much to his demise uh, or, or to his detriment, rather, because he falls asleep. He falls asleep. The moment his eyes close, uh, Koenig walks up that mound of, of yellow dust. He completely misses him. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> Koenig knows what Sasha knows. And so he also sets up in that area and he expects that Vasily is going to be down there. And just at the moment, you mentioned this earlier, that just at the moment, he seems to get a glint of, of, of sun off of a sniper scope. There then ends up being a, a Nazi that goes through the area and he's pulling watches and papers and money and stuff off of the corpses. Just just being a complete dickhead, like running around and he gets <laughs> he gets right in the way of that glint and, and actually slings Vasily's body over and then steals his papers to include uh, his identification <clears throat> and then his uh, the, the method by which he's tracking his kills. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so then, uh, you know, Koenig misses his his chance. Vasily misses his chance. And so th- then we see this other encounter um, between Koenig and the Nazi general, where the general's saying, we have his papers. He He's dead. His papers were picked up off of a corpse. He's he's dead. And Koenig's like, yeah, no, he's he's not dead. He's still out there. Because I and didn't shoot is- him. Yeah, because I didn't shoot him. And so this is where they have the exchange of, well, if you go out, you have to give me your dog tags and and all that such uh, thing. And so then Koenig goes out uh, and has uh, one last exchange with with Sasha. And uh, what this whole exchange ends up resulting in is him killing and hanging Sasha. And so he hangs him out in this in this uh, well, most of the city's an industrial area, but where this whole thing was was set up. And so you have uh, Vasily and Tanya in this area, and Tanya happens to see Sasha, and so she kind of freaks out a little bit. She's ready to um, go like bayonet Major Koenig, just oh, like, yeah, run right yeah. across into German lines. Yeah, yeah, she absolutely is. And so Dan Love comes in and manages to get her out of there. Um, and Vasily and Dan Love seem to now have their reckoning a little bit and they settle some things in the midst of this. And, uh, you know, Dan Love is like, you know, Dan Love comes to the realization that, hey, look, this guy is incredibly dangerous. And if we don't get rid of him, you know, this, this stuff is just going to continue. I'm going to sacrifice myself. And uh, so he, and this harkens back to something earlier where they were taking uh, helmets and putting them on a stick and raising them above a window to kind of lure snipers in, into, into taking shots. Well, so Danilov took that to an extreme and he took his helmet off and he just stood up in front of the window uh, and, and, and got shot by Koenig. Um, 
and then actually Vasily runs out and ends up tracking down Koenig in the midst of these train cars and and and, and shoots him. And you actually kind of see there's this unspoken moment between Vasily and Koenig. Vasily's was very much uh, vengeful. Koenig was respectful, I think, of of Vasily. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what, kid, you're good. You beat me. Um, Koenig kind of resigned to that. Like in his final moment, you see that on his face and in his countenance that he was he was he, he was he was good with that. You know, he got bested and he was actually OK with that. Um, so like that was a really interesting moment there. And, you know, it's so crazy. The the imagery that we get from this that reflects back on the whole uh, situation of Vasily being taught how to shoot by his grandfather and the horse being tied at the stake and to lure the wolf in. And Sasha was, well, tied uh, as he was hanging. And that was being used by Koenig to lure Vasily in. And so it was interesting that Vasily became the wolf while Koenig was the 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 hunter. And then those roles reversed again. And like a lot of like really, really deep stuff in this, the writing of this was just incredibly well done. Yeah. Except this time he didn't hesitate like he did when he was five. Exactly. Exactly. What age, Tim, did you kill your first wolf? My first wolf? Yeah, your first wolf. I've actually never killed a wolf. Um, I've, I've, I've your grandfather never took you out to the snow and tied up a horse. No, uh, I thought that no, was a, that's, a that's thing not for a common practice New York. <laughs> uh, no, no, not 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 that particular manner. I've 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 I was a hunter for a number of years. I I haven't in in a few years. Um, now it's more less getting rid of nuisance critters uh, that end up on my property, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a no, sign it's, of rot in the American education system that we're not out there uh, having our our kids kill wolves at <laughs> before the age of seven. Yeah, I, yeah. Maybe if I was raised in Siberia, yeah, um, that that probably would have been a thing. But uh, no, no, not not here in Central New York. That's generally not how we roll. So. Uh, yeah. So then the, the, the whole thing wraps up, uh, you know, the, Tanya was, was wounded and, uh, her and her, her quote mother, again, we don't know if there was a, a specific relation there or, or not, uh, tries to actually get her on one of the outbound boats, um, that is taking a lot of wounded soldiers and some civilians, um, uh, out of Stalingrad. And so then ends up uh the, the the mother ends up getting killed tanya is kind of on her own and so we don't know in this interlude what happened to her if she survived where she is that kind of stuff uh but vasili ends up tracking her down she sent him a letter coming from a hospital and uh, this whole final scene was actually a little bit too long the whole discussion between vasili and the nurse of like well, I know she's here. No, she's not. But she is because yeah. she sent me this letter. No, she's not. I don't understand why they kept dragging that out. I, yeah. The movie was over. The movie <laughs> was over at this point. So I don't know what they were doing there. Uh, but they had the reunion and, you know, presumably lived happily ever after. And that was that. So I. What, 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 what else you got? Well, we got a little bit of military trivia here. We. 
you hear throughout, and we've touched on it in terms of Danilov's role as a political officer. That's not something that obviously exists in the uh, the American army or the American armed forces, but it is something that's existed at times in the Soviet army. And interestingly, the the commissars, these political officers, had their own rank structure. So they uh-huh. it kind of mirrors the Soviet ranks, but. Uh, you know, you could be instead of being like a captain, you're like the commissar of a battalion. And these officers are inserted all the way down to the company level. And they're uh, they're charged with the, the quote unquote political education of the soldiers in that unit. And I guess we, we see what that education entails at different points. Sometimes it's a bullet to the back and educating on you on what happens to a deserter in the Soviet army. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating and unique role. Something that's, it's not even existed at all points in time in the Soviet army or the Russian army. Uh, but, but something that's not reflected in a lot of militaries. Um, yeah. The they, next- they were, and they were considerably feared because they yeah. had, they had a, a lot of, sway and power and things and if they suspected someone of of being treasonous or or even just simply not being bought into the doctrine these were people who you know they were disappeared uh or or just killed right then and there with uh, fundamentally no questions asked yeah and uh i think that's why you see there's that that moment that we talked about at the very beginning when they're introduced to each other in that fountain amidst all the dead bodies Vasily is very careful to address him as comrade Ooh, yeah. commissar. It's not like, mm-hmm. hey, man, <laughs> give me that yeah. rifle. You suck. <laughs> With he's your like, permission, comrade Yeah, commissar. he's like very deferential and respectful. So it, it tells mm-hmm. you something there. The other yeah. one, you note at the very end of the movie, it says Vasily was made hero of the Soviet Union. And that was that that's actually a, a an actual distinction. It's the highest um, honor uh provided to anybody in the soviet union uh Mm -hmm. it's for heroic feats in service to the the soviet union uh and it was it wasn't established until like the mid 30s um and uh so i i I would put it on par to like a medal of honor but one that's not reserved specifically for military folks right so you could certainly have civilians that are awarded that as well mm-hmm. um and that's ultimately what he's elevated to so just uh this mythic status um, yeah interestingly as a an interesting tidbit uh stalingrad was rebuilt uh, eventually from the pile of rubble that it was um it is not known as Stalingrad anymore. In the in 1961, I think uh, it was renamed uh, to to sort of pivot off of Stalin's legacy to to try to erase that. Uh, and it was it's now known as Volgograd. Mm-hmm. Still exists. There's a massive statue there uh, called the Motherland Calls, which is actually the tallest statue in Europe. Uh, this, I mean, you take one look at it; it's like a uh, just a mythic Russian female figure with a giant sword and her arm extended mm-hmm. it's like it's inc- it's incredible it's like as, about as russian as you can get um and it's one yeah. of those things that like if you look it up you'll say oh yeah i've pro- i've seen that somewhere yeah it's 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 fairly you know i won't say that it's like famous um it, 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 at, at least to 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 westerners but 
you will have probably seen it somewhere. It's a, it's a fairly, uh, uh, you know, common imagery yeah. that's used out there. And the numbers, they, they never sort of end cap the numbers that were involved in this battle, but it's, it's really, really staggering that the number of casualties, it, it's almost like incomprehensible, uh, the, the amount of folks that were killed and injured on the German side. The, the casualty figures range between 647,000 and 868,000 men uh, killed or injured. On the Russian side, uh, it's 478,000 and change killed or missing, and then 650,000 plus wounded or sick. I mean, that's that's just a this wild. For, that's one battle. That's one that's 120 one battle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is flat out got to be the bloodiest battle in the history of humanity. I mean, that's that's one single battle. Yeah. Four months of just bloody, you know, door to door fighting. Yeah. For a propaganda victory. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and that's what it it was. It was egos. That's all it was, was egos. That's uh, yeah, it's 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 a crazy thing. Uh, Any any last thoughts on, on the movie? But what's your I mean, you you you, you like the movie? Um, yeah, you know, what, I, I found what, what this is the first time that I've watched this in years uh, to, okay. to and to put a point on that. I didn't even own this on Blu-ray. I, I opened up my movie case expecting that I had it on Blu-ray or something like that. But we watched it on straight DVD. So I mm-hmm. it's been a while since I watched it. I thoroughly enjoyed the exact same stuff that I did when I first watched it. The sniper battle. The other yeah. stuff, the. Uh, sort of the love interest and whatnot was, yeah, it was about like it was. <laughs> it doesn't really do anything for me throughout the movie. Yeah. I, I, I just, it certainly didn't like motivate Vasily at all. It was just sort of this side thing. It didn't really change his character or like you know his conduct, what he was doing with sniping. It, it's not like he suddenly became more careful uh, as he was out there because he had something to lose or anything like that. So it, it just didn't. It didn't really move any any aspect of the plot. I, I kind of came away wondering, like, well, other than making him seem human and a little more interesting, like, what was the purpose of this? Yeah, I mean, really, it, it only kind of it 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 gave kind of a, a second bit of like, I guess, very more much more subtle conflict between him and and Danilov. And it was really mostly on Danilov's part. It had nothing to do with Vasily. It's not like Vasily was doing anything to uh, to poke at Danilov. It was just they happened to be interested in the same woman and, and Danilov took took more offense to that and being the political officer, he he leveraged that yeah. a, a bit. So uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree that that was maybe more a distraction in the story than anything else. Um, but it, do, it did give some depth of character and I think it, it I think what they were looking for there is, hey, look, we need to have a something broader than just a flat out sniper versus sniper war movie. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but <laughs> uh, actually, we probably I don't think the movie Sniper is on our list. Speaking speaking it of Ed Harris, because wasn't Ed Harris? He was the title or character, wasn't he? I think he <laughs> was the sniper in in Sniper. I'm trying to think back. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm I'm at a loss. I'm going to do a, a quick IMDb here. They made like four sequels to it or something. It's not American Sniper. 
It was just Sniper. Oh, Tom Berenger. I'm sorry. Tom Ber- okay. 1993, Tom Berenger. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I like that movie for as, as kitschy as some of the stuff was in that. Um, I liked it. And yeah, they made like a gazillion uh, uh, sequels to it, like to the point that it was a little, little ludicrous. Uh, so yeah, with, with that, uh, our next episode, we're going to be, as we said, we're going to be switching back and forth between Star Wars movies and uh, more traditional war movies. So our next episode is uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Our, our first one, The Phantom Menace, was actually really well received. Um, I, I, I think that people were as surprised as, as we were, Tom, about being able to get through that without doing like a traditional review and the focus that we had on so many of like the war and political aspects of the movie. It's chock full attack of the clones, even more so. Yes. And uh, I really like it. I mean, if you've seen or heard like the recording or you were at the, the military panel that, that I've done it uh, either celebration 2019 or 2017, you could do an entire show on just that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, you really could. I mean, there's just a ton of topics to get into. But now, you know, we've got everything from the introdu- introduction of the clone army to Jedi stepping into a military role. Uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. Tom. Duty calls. You, this is you. my I'm like the political officer of this show. When it comes <laughs> to this thing. And if anybody yeah, is logging are. out, I'm like cocking and uh, the, the hammer on my pistol here. So, you know, just know what happens if you abandon ship at this point. Firing <laughs> into the water. <laughs> Dispatches from the front is not endorsed by anyone affiliated with the films we discuss and is intended only for entertainment purposes. All names associated with and references to the films we discuss are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and copyright holders. Random Chatter Media and Dispatches from the Front are not affiliated with those trademark or copyright holders. All content of the glorious motherland, Dispatches from the Front, is the intellectual property of Random Chatter Media, unless otherwise indicated. And then you cue in like the glorious Russian music right now. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, thank you for joining us again. Uh, We hope that you enjoyed Enemy at the Gates and uh, looking forward to having you joining us for Attack of Clones. Take care.